And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And with us this week, somebody I've been wanting to get on for quite a while, Carrie Winfrey. Carrie is, uh, well, he's from Dutchess County, New York, but he spends a good part of the year down in Key West, Florida. Pretty cool place if you get a chance to go down there. But uh, he spent his career in uh, journalism and newspaper, magazines, television, uh, you know, 45 years as a journalist. Been a photographer the whole time, but mainly as an amateur, which he had taken with him, you know, basically wherever he went. And, and Gary's been all over the world, probably many times over. And uh, so we're going to talk to him about current work and past work and anything else that comes to mind. So, Carrie, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a great fan of the magazine as well as a subscriber. Well, that's even better. <laughs> you get a gold star for that. All right. Let's go for another one. Yeah. <laughs> so, Carrie, why don't you, um, you know, before we get into things, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into, well, you do a lot of travel photography, but street photography, too. And uh, just tell us about your journey. Well, I started taking pictures when I was about 10 or 11 or 12 and have had a camera with me almost all my life. For, for 25 years, when my twin sons were growing up, I took mostly pictures of them. But when they reached the age of, the age of what? When they reached the age of uh, semi-maturity, I started taking pictures again on my travels first and then um, took a few workshops, uh, which which, uh, gave me... um, gave me the impetus to go get out there and and shoot and and to help me overcome um i think the the hesitation that so many beginning street photographers have about sticking their camera in other people's faces and firing away which which at first seems like a an intrusion on their privacy but uh is part of the challenge and um I wouldn't say I'd enti- I've entirely overcome that, by the way, um, but I've gotten a little bit better at it. One, one, one trick I've learned is never to look the person in the eye that you're photographing. And as soon as you've taken the picture, look away as if, you've, uh, as if you didn't take their picture at all. Uh, so I became a journalist. I uh, went to Columbia Journalism School in in the late 60s, worked first for Time Magazine as a reporter and then as a writer, Worked uh, went from there to producing a television program about the press for uh, public television. It was called Behind the Lines. Um, it turned into uh, another television program for public television called Assignment America uh, mm. from television i went to the new york times um and was at the times for my usual vocational attention span which was about three and a half years when i was younger um 
I, I covered Africa for the New York Times. I covered New York for the New York Times. Um, from the Times, I went into something that I believe you've spent some time at. I, I worked in cable television mm-hmm. for an ill, ill-designed and ill-conceived and very costly enterprise called CBS Cable, which was Bill Paley's uh, dream uh, or side dream. Uh, <laughs> the only problem was it was about 20 years too early because it was advertiser supported and there were only a, a huge insufficiency of television <laughs> sets at that time. So uh, from there, I went, let's see, where did I go after that? Uh, I went to, uh, I went to, I stayed within the company. Uh, I went to CBS magazines to try to turn magazines into uh, television programs. You may remember at the dawn of cable, the uh, the, the great uh, assertion or thought was that magazines would be like an electronic newsstand, which in a way they finally became. Yeah. There are there are. There is now a cable network for almost everything from basket weaving to uh, to politics. Worked in CBS Cable um, and uh, was hired by CBS Magazines, as I said. I was at CBS Magazine and made a couple of uh, pilots for two of the magazines that we own. One was a food magazine. The other was Road and Track and Automobile Magazine, as I'm sure your listeners know. Mm-hmm. Um, when the man who had hired me was replaced by someone who had no interest in video development, he also um, felt that one of the magazines needed a new editor. So he had me without a department and uh, a food magazine called Cuisine without an editor. So he solved his uh, personnel problem in the neatest possible way, and I became a magazine editor uh, sort of overnight. And uh, uh, I felt, as I told my staff the first day, I've never edited a magazine, and I don't know anything about food other than having consumed more than my fair share of it. But other than that, you're in good hands. And for the next 20 some years, 25 years, um, I've helped put a lot of uh, great magazines out of business. <laughs> yeah, what's the most famous one? Well, um, my last 10 years, I'm, I'm happy to say the Smithsonian Magazine, which I edited, is still going strong and looking good. So um, even I couldn't. Uh, couldn't succumb to the pressures wrought by the internet and uh, the other uh, impositions on everybody's time these days. Magazines have gone through a very rough uh, period. And uh, I was lucky to have uh, edited magazines at a time when it was, uh, a, when it was a lot easier to do so and where we had to pay most attention to the magazine and the paper itself and not worry so much about uh, its internet counterpart, which mm-hmm. has become the tail that wags the dog. And God bless, uh, God bless those of you who 
put your magazines out online. Um, but I've, I'm so old fashioned. I still miss, uh, miss the paper versions. Well, there's no substitute to, uh, to me, to having a hard copy of a magazine or a book. Um, especially when you're publishing photographs because you control what it looks like when you print it right on the screen. Who knows what somebody is viewing, viewing that photograph on. Smithsonian was a wonderful uh, magazine to end one's uh, career at, uh, pardon the grammar, um, <laughs> because it, it, it made such uh, extensive use of photographs. And as a photographer, Monkey, strictly amateur, I certainly enjoyed working with the art director in picking the photographs and displaying the photographs and trying to illustrate the stories with photographs. So it was a, it was an ideal uh, culmination of my checkered, otherwise checkered career. And uh, it was a good place to, it was a good place to spend a decade, which is what I did from shortly before nine 11 to, uh, to 10 years later, 2011 is when, when I finally uh, hung up my typewriter my metaphorical typewriter, but I didn't put my cameras away. So uh, I yeah. think I think having having no longer uh, gainful employment, uh, my photographer my photography became more important to me. Well, it shows. It shows. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, and then one thing you have to tell us about because you mentioned this to me. Before uh, before we started it, you actually got to work with uh, Cartier Bresson. Yes, and it was time. it was a uh, it was a very exciting and uh, somewhat frustrating experience. Uh, <laughs> Mister Cartier Bresson can be, uh, shall we say, um, uh, sensitive and uh, occasionally even brusque. But I was producing a program uh, for PBS uh, called Assignment America, and somehow we arranged for him to come to the United States and photograph New Jersey. And the conditions were laid down that we could photograph him photographing, and we, as long as we stayed a hundred yards away with our cameras, he was he was uh, he was notably very concerned about being recognized, and and rarely allowed anyone to to photograph him, and would often hold a camera up in front of his face when he was photographed. So he came into my office when we when we first met, and he was going to go out into New into the wilds of New Jersey to. <laughs> Uh, photograph whatever he came across, and there, th for some reason, he had a he had a small uh, Leica CL camera, and he put it on my desk, and I had reason I can't remember why to touch it and move it six inches, or maybe mm -hmm. it was eight inches, and he got very upset that I had touched his camera. So we got off to a great start that way. He then went out with my producer for the next, I guess, about 10 days of shooting or two weeks of shooting. And uh, one of the great revelations to me was when they brought in 
the first of his many, many contact sheets. And mm -hmm. here, here was the envelope, and here was my opportunity to open the great master's uh, uh, contact sheets and look at them. And I looked at them, and I thought, oh, my God. They look like my contact sheets. They look at my <laughs> like my friend's contact sheets. Uh -huh. They look like contact sheets. And every once in a while, there was a pretty nice photograph, but they looked like contract contact sheets. And I realized that the the secret to street photography, the secret to the decisive moment, is you have to throw all those indecisive moments away. And that was very, I found that very liberating. Um, huh. So we completed the documentary. It was a half hour documentary. And uh, he did allow himself to be interviewed. And we used the interview. We laced it through and showed all these photographs that he took. He took some pretty nice photographs. Um, and the documentary aired. And I got a letter from him saying how much he enjoyed working with my producer and how disappointed he was in the documentary, that it, it was really uh, not what he was hoping for. And then, he had, then somewhere in the letter he said he hadn't actually seen it, but he'd heard about it. Oh, right. And I could not resist being, being <laughs> considerably younger and less diplomatic. I couldn't resist writing back to him and saying that I wanted to, to imagine someone commenting on an exhibition of his photographs and then confessing that they hadn't actually seen them, but they'd heard about them. So my, my experience with Cartier-Bresson was very exciting, a highlight of my life, but not entirely mutually satisfactory. Did he respond to what you said? I don't think to this to, to my letter, no. Oh. But but I do have his letter somewhere tucked away. Oh, there was an there is an interesting footnote. Because I was the executive producer of the program, he gave me my ch choice of two of the photographs that he's that he had taken in New Jersey and I remember quite well what they mm -hmm. were. One was of a series of uh, was a, was a storefront of a wig shop. And the saleswoman was bending over in such a way that her head looked like one of the mannequin heads mm -hmm. on which there were wigs. The other photograph was a uh, was taken at a New Jersey prison, and it just showed the bars and an arm reaching out, and the arm was full of emotion and expression, and you mm -hmm. can read into it whatever you were. And these photographs were so prized and treasured by me that I put them away in about 1979. I put them away somewhere in my house, and I haven't seen them since. I put them away somewhere where I would be sure not to lose them, and the first thing I did was lose them. In fact, this summer, oh. I planned to go through a, a, a series of file cabinets one more time in search of those two Cartier-Bresson photographs. Oh my God! I know. So, me and CB are not exactly <laughs> bosom buddies. <laughs> oh boy, what a story! Well, it's uh, sadly, it's all true.
I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, who we published in the magazine, uh, Mike Ruggiero, a matter of fact, he just moved here from uh, Long Island. And uh, he met him when he was young. When he first, uh, I'll butcher the story, but uh, Mike tells tells it much better than me. But anyway, he he saw Cartier Brisson's work, and he was a budding street photographer. And he went and he lived in Paris for for a while, and he wanted to meet him. And he actually found out his address, and he went to his apartment building, and nobody was home. He you know, he went in, knocked on the door. And this older gentleman comes comes walking by, and he said, "Do you know Mr. Brisson?" "Oh, yes, you know a little bit. Um, I don't think he's here." He said, "But you know, I think he's has a, a an exhibit coming up at this museum." So Mike goes to the museum. I don't know, not a museum. It was a gallery, and so he goes to the gallery, and he walks in, and there's. The guy he met in the hallway, and it <laughs> it was it was Cartier Brisson. He must be a, must have been a real wise ass, I guess. But <laughs> but the uh, so they they got to talk, so he got to meet him, yeah, which is uh, you know pretty exciting. Well, I would just like to say that my admiration for Mister Cartier Brisson has never flagged, and the more I go out into the streets with a camera, the more my admiration for what he's, he managed to accomplish, it only grows. He, 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 he deserves all of the accolades that, that he gets. I think he's wonderful. And uh, the fact that he didn't think I was so wonderful is fine too. Yeah. But I thought I, my, my admiration for him knows no bounds. Yeah, even after he yelled at you for touching his camera. Exactly. In fact, I thought that was pretty cool. How many people get to say they've been yelled at by Cartier Bresson? Yeah. Or gotten a letter saying how disappointed they were in your work? <laughs> if that was me, I would have picked up the camera and taken his picture with it. You know, I wish I had. I wish I'd taken. I wish I'd brought my camera to work that day and mm -hmm. taken his picture. Yeah. Yeah, he, he may not have liked that either. No, I'm sure he wouldn't have. Yeah. How did you pick New Jersey? He picked it. Oh, okay. He picked it. He wanted he wanted to photograph New Jersey. Well, it was close to New York. Yeah. And uh he he felt that New York he felt that New Jersey was unfairly depicted, unfairly uh maligned. Um, and he, I think, I think there was something about the challenge of it. You know, mm -hmm. you, he wasn't going to go out and try to outdo Ansel Adams in the West or, yeah. or, uh, Harvey Stein or whoever. <laughs> uh, so he went to New Jersey 
and he got some pretty good pictures. Nothing. Well, maybe I, I think I have seen the wig photograph reproduced since uh, in some article or some something, but but none of his nothing came out of the New Jersey experience that most people who have read the Decisive Moment or any of his other books would likely recognize. But I'm going to find those pictures. It's my my summer project. Yeah, I hope you do. And if you do. Please let us know. Oh, sure. Yeah. Reveal them to the world. Mm-hmm. The lost HCB photos. <laughs> they're, they're in the bowels of this house somewhere, or maybe the attic. Well, they, yeah, they probably... I, do, you ever, do you ever find that, though, when there's something you really don't yep. want to lose, so you put it in a special mm-hmm. place, whereas all the stuff that you don't really care about losing, you can put your hands on within yeah. five minutes. Or you trip over it. Exactly. Yeah, I think about maybe once a week I do that. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Yeah, you'll find it. I, sometimes I do that. If I go, go away on vacation, I'll take, take my backup drive. And, uh, and then I have a separate drive with my photos, and I put them someplace that is not obvious. And then when I get back, I can't remember where I put them. Yeah. I know the I know the feeling well. Hmm. Welcome to my world. I, you also said a little while ago that you you took some workshops. Any remember who you took them from? Any any? Well, I mentioned Harvey Stein. I, I took a I, I took a workshop with him probably thirty years ago. Wow! Uh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, and uh, then I went. For a quarter of a century, just taking pictures of my kids for the most part. I think that probably the most, who's, uh, they're the children most documented probably in the country because I, I would photograph them almost every day in various, various poses. Almost always the two of them, I have very few, I have very few shots of either one individually, but I always have them together doing some antics. I took a, uh, I took a uh, a workshop in Miami in 2019 mm. with the great Indian photographer Vineet Vora. I don't oh, know yeah. if you know Vineet. I but, don't know uh, him. I know his work. He but. was he was he was wonderful. I uh, partly uh, I was drawn to him because I was such an a- admirer of Raghavir Singh, who was the great uh, Indian photographer who died way too young. And who was one of the real pioneers uh, uh, of color photography as art, which was eschewed by so many uh, purists yeah. in the in the early days of color, rightfully so for the most part, I'm sure. But Raghavir Singh, I I think Vineet is in some ways uh, the inheritor of Raghavir Singh's uh, oeuvre of his of his. Uh, mastery of color in india and uh, that was a wonderful uh a wonderful workshop um i took a uh, we were in london last about a year well not quite a year ago in october 21 and i was lucky enough to uh to find that there was a street photography workshop i think it was only 3 days but it was in london with a very interesting fellow uh, named Daniel Norwood, 
who had been a police photographer for like 10 years until he got tired of photographing crime scenes and cadavers and uh, uh, sort of the English version of Ouija, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and I, I took a, uh, I took a, a one-week workshop in my own Key West where I spend winters with Matthew Lifeheight, uh, in also in 2021. So that those those not only do you learn a lot, but you you get inspired to go out and shoot in a way that uh, that that I at least do not. If I'm just uh, if I'm just sitting around looking for lost Cartier-Bresson photographs <laughs> in my old files, there's not much to shoot where where we live in the summer. Uh, so a workshop uh, a workshop is. Uh, is a nice antidote for yeah i can i can shoot all the cows and horses here i want but uh not much street photography yeah yeah it's similar here travel serves that same yeah. same need i you know i i'll go to london or india or someplace and shoot you know, a couple of thousand photographs in the, in, a, in, a, in the course of a couple of weeks. Yeah, that doesn't take long. Yeah, you were, um, well, you're talking about Harvey Stein. He um, He's coming out with a new book. Is he? Yeah, it's 50 years of uh, Coney Island. Oh, yeah. And uh, he was talking about Coney Island 30 years ago. Oh, too. yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's Mr. Coney Island. But, uh, yeah, he's going to be on on here with us in august and we'll give uh, him my best he won't remember me but oh, i bet he does but i remember him yeah he's quite a guy great teacher i've, I've taken a couple workshops of him myself the, uh, well you probably remember the one th one one thing i do remember is he used to say shoot every day i think that's good advice i think it's excellent advice um something i didn't i probably didn't listen to um and since i was talking about mike ruggiero moved here a excellent photographer and he's been dragging me out you know because he's new to town he goes hey there's a parade i never even knew we had that parade <laughs> we went out there and shot life not the parade but around the parade it was a riot and then he's the one that dragged me out to the uh the steeplechase over the weekend oh yeah which was a lot of fun. I did spend a year when I was in Washington uh, taking pictures every day for a year, trying mm -hmm. to get one good picture a day mm -hmm. uh, for for a year. I, of course, I didn't. There were many days when I didn't get anything good, and no days when I got anything wonderful. But um, it, it it did. I did was able to up my game a little bit, just because you get more familiar with your equipment. And yeah. You get more familiar doing it and it's yeah it's a good exercise actually yeah you're fortunate to be you know to be in dc i mean right in the city it's um i like shooting there i mean it's not new york right but, uh very different but there's a lot of tourists a lot of things going on the street so yeah, what um so what do you do? So I mean when you're 
when you're up there in uh, in Dutchess County, what, what do you do when you when you want to shoot? Like you say, you just have to travel. Well, I I mentioned horses. I have yeah. a lot of pictures of horses. Uh, I take my I I walk my dog about a mile every morning, and we always walk by this paddock that's full of horses. Mm-hmm. So for a couple of uh, summers, because we're mostly here in the summer, I would take the, those horses in the paddock almost every day. And I'm still waiting for somebody who's looking for many variations on a theme of equines and a, and a paddock. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, you, you, if, you, if you love that sound of the click that a camera makes, you'll find things to shoot. Yeah, and you know my my poor dog rolls his eyes every time I get out my camera because he knows I'm going <laughs> to ask him to pose. And yeah. There's yeah. always something to shoot. There's always something to shoot. And and this right now everything is in bloom. All the trees, all the fruit trees are in bloom. So yeah. there's stuff to shoot. I don't really think of myself as a landscape photographer, but you know it's like when. When you're when if you're hungry enough, you'll eat graham crackers from morning, noon, and night if that's all there is. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, with photography; you'll shoot whatever's available. That's so right. I do keep shooting. And in Key West, you know, I, I I'm I'm amazed that uh, I'll I'll have a memory card and I'll say, "Gee, I'm not sure what's on this. I haven't downloaded it in three days, and it'll turn out I'd taken 120 pictures. Yeah, uh, most of which aren't very good, but sometimes I surprise myself. Yeah, if you're not happy with what what's on your memory card, just think back to the Cartier Bresson's contact sheets. Exactly, exactly. It's it was that was the that was the lesson. That was the. Uh, that was the realization, and 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 most of my, well, the latter part of my career, uh, I was an editor, which means not using everything. It means winnowing down. It means uh, uh, throwing most much of it away, um, and that's certainly true of my photography, if not uh, if not other people's. The other the other thing that I've learned is the the equipment is so much less important than having a camera with you. I mm-hmm. most of the time I just carry around a I wouldn't even say a high end uh Sony point and shoot, mm-hmm. but sort of a medium uh point and shoot. I have some better cameras when I'm s- go out seriously to take pictures or try to take pictures. But you cannot take a great picture or even a good picture if you don't have a camera with you. Right. And most of these point-and-shoot pa- cameras are better than anything Alfred Stieglitz ever used. The <laughs> lenses are. Yeah. It's it's not about the camera. And uh, half of the time, three-quarters of the time, I've got them on automatic anyway. Yeah, so true. I'm not a uh, – it's, it's one of the reasons I'm uh, so quick to admit my – amateur status because i'm not technically uh proficient but most of my better photographs don't require technical or didn't require technical proficiency especially if you get it right the first time right yeah and 
the uh, mobile phones are no slouch anymore either. They aren't. Although I I am uh, still resisting having a, a mobile phone or a oh. cell phone, but I do have that camera uh, my on my belt most of the time. Yeah. And the reason there's another reason too, because if I don't have it, that's the time when something wonderful happens that I would kick myself to be able to photograph. Most of the time when I have my camera on my belt, I don't I don't take it out or don't use it. But at least if something happens, I can <laughs> I've got a shot at capturing it. Yeah. Like they say, the best camera is the one you have with you. Exactly. Even maybe one day it'll be a smartphone. Who knows? And the yeah, the other thing is when I look over the my cameras on i when I look over my pictures on iPhoto, I have no idea which ones were taken with my point and shoot or with my uh, Fuji Film, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, one hundred XF, yeah. Or I also have a, a a very high end Sony point and shoot, a hundred hundred X six or something. Um, I don't know. But you can't tell the difference. I can't tell the difference looking at them. That's so, a good thing. Yeah, it is a good thing. Of course, when I have the when I have the good camera out, I I feel more uh, pressure obliga- obligated yeah. and encouraged to try harder. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, I think sometimes using the phone, it, it 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 seems so casual, and it's okay if I mess it up, I mess it up, no big deal. And, right. and so you're not under a lot of pressure to to perform or whatever. And some of my favorite photos I've I've made with the phone. Exactly. Yeah. So what are you, what else do you use? Say so you have the uh, the Fuji, what the X100. Let's see. I, one, I, one of my one of my favorites. I made a note here of what I use. I use a uh, Sony RX one hundred six. I use a Fujifilm X one hundred F, and I use uh, a, a Sony that's so low end that I'm not even sure it has a numbered designation. <laughs> but uh, but I get some pretty good pictures with it. I mean, technically good. They're not always compositionally good, but. Technically, they're good. Yeah, but you got the shot. You get the shot. That's right. Oh, you know, I wanted to ask you one other thing. You you were talking about Harvey. You you probably took the course of him back when he was when he uh, did his twins book. Did he happen to photograph your twins? No, he didn't. But uh, there there are some there are some twin photographers. One of whom has died. Two women. Oh. Or twins, who did photograph yeah. uh, my sons, and uh, their their name is escaping me, uh, which happens more and more these days. Mm. Um, but you will probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, but they, they did. They also did books on twins. Why did Harvey do twins? I don't know. I think he was just interested. Uh huh. And uh, well, they, they, these women, um, you know, I'm sure when we finish this, the names will come to me. Uh, these women were twins, and they did 
they did books on twins, and, and they included my sons in one of them. Anyway. Um, yeah. Well, Diane Arbus did. Yeah. She and did. Uh, I'm trying to think who else, but uh, yeah, her stuff. Brilliant. Uh, I love Harvey's book. Har- Harvey Stein. I mentioned his name earlier. Didn't didn't say his last name, so people know who it is. But well, yeah, his- the course, the the workshop I took with him was definitely in New York City. Yeah. Um, it may have been up at Columbia. I'm not sure. But uh, say hello to him for me from one of his former students. So um, everything you're doing right now. Well, at least what I've seen. You, you. Uh, by the way, Carrie is a very prolific poster on our Facebook group, and I appreciate that you do because you do some excellent stuff. And uh, but I know you've done a lot of black and white work too. Is that are you doing black and white now, or is that prim- primarily from past years? Most of my black and white work was before my children were born. And they're 39. Mm. Once they were born, I started shooting color film. And when they came of age, digital was coming of age at the same time. And I switched to digital. And I shot mostly in, uh, in color. However, I, I felt I, I made uh, two or three trips to India. And I felt that in India, the colors are so wonderful Mm -hmm. and so overwhelming that you almost, uh, it's almost, you almost don't pay sufficient attention to composition. Mm -hmm. So the Fuji film uh, camera has, has a wonderful. Uh, black and white option. Yeah, and it does. I, I went to India and I took my high-end, higher-end Sony for color and I took my Fujifilm for black and white. And uh, it was a very interesting experiment, experiment. So I shot a lot of, I shot a lot of black and white in India, some of which was successful and some of which wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I plan to do that again when I travel. Um, to sh- to shoot more black and white than I have in the past, but also shoot color. I, I mean, I love co- I love color also. You know, somebody like Saul Leiter uh, mm-hmm. or uh, Ernst Haas are two of my heroes, and they shot in color. I mentioned Raghavar Singh, also one of the great color uh, pioneers. Um, but I think I think they each have their their uses. I'm. Uh, my wife is is going to go away next week for for a week, and I'm going to be on my own. And I'm going to go shoot some in Poughkeepsie, um, which strikes me as kind of a black and white sort of place. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, rundown uh, or and or abandoned uh, houses, and there's mm-hmm. a, a certain uh, population of homeless and it just uh it feels kind of black and white so i am gonna i am gonna shoot uh black and white in poughkeepsie but i still love color and if i go back to india which i might have we might have one more 
trip there before we hang up our cameras for good. Um, I will probably shoot mostly color, but some black and white. Yeah, like you, I I plan sometime this summer to get back up to my hometown, which is in which is in Appalachia, uh, one of the Appalachian counties of Ohio, and it's a uh, pretty rundown. It's gotten even worse since the opioid, um, you know, the opioid epidemic. Sure. Um, you sure. Know, it's never made a comeback. Uh, you know, I obviously have. A lot of emotional ties to us as I grew up there, but uh, you could you could follow in the fifth footsteps of Walker Evans. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, that actually actually reminds me of something I was going to tell you, but but I, I'm going to do I'm going to do that all all in monochrome. I, you know, I my memories as a kid were all black and white. You know, right. we had black and white TV. We had you know black and white photos in the newspaper or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Walker Evans. We were in um, my wife and I were in Knoxville, Tennessee last summer, we're walking down the street, and there's an exhibit of his work. No kidding. Yes, uh, from um, from a book. I forget the name of the book. Uh, he, he did the photos. I forget who wrote it. Man, uh, sorry about that. I'll, I'll I'll dig it up and put it in the show notes. But well, let us now famous. Let us now praise famous men. Is yes, yes, is, that was the book. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, with James Agee. Yes, and uh, so they had they had all the photos from the book, and of course they had the book as well. And it was just like a surprise. And I made my wife go in there for as long as she could stand it. <laughs> and then we go, and then we went to the museum. They have a really nice art museum. And there's photos in there by Cartier-Bresson that he took right. in Knoxville. All right. He must have gone there right from New Jersey. Maybe. <laughs> you paid for his trip over, so why not? <laughs> why not go to Knoxville? Pretty amazing. Well, to keep my journalistic integrity, it was the channel that paid his way over. Yeah. And, uh, and I, didn't have to, I didn't have to deal in, uh, in anything commercial. But... Uh, we did manage to uh, to upset each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if if everything was just nice and relaxed, you right. probably wouldn't remember it. Yeah, well, I remember it vividly. Yeah, see, a little bit of controversy <laughs> certainly helps. So, what's there? What's there left for you to do? So, you've been yeah, you travel, you've you've been everywhere. What do you want to do next? Well, I'm I'm quite content to keep on doing what I'm doing. I'm, uh, I still got a lot of files to organize, which, uh, the search for those lost photographs will help me organize. I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing some writing. I put together a collection of, uh, writers, uh, Key West writers of whom there are about 30, uh, notable ones still living, um, uh, writing about Key West for a collection that uh, I hope will get published, the proceeds of which will go toward the restoration and rehabilitation of the poet Elizabeth Bishop's house in Key West, which the Key West Literary Seminar, on whose board I serve, purchased uh, a couple of years ago mm. and is in, in, the, in the process of renovating to make it a uh, Elizabeth Bishop uh, study center 
the home of the literary uh, seminar there, uh, and a tourist attraction similar to the Ernest Hemingway house in Key West. So um, uh, that project is now with a publisher, and I'm check the mail every day, check the email every day to see if they're going to publish it or not. Uh, I have an agent for that. So that's uh, that's something I'm very involved in. I'm also involved in the Key West Literary Seminar and uh, um, taking a lot of pictures or trying to, most of which aren't very good. Welcome to the club. That's it's the name of the game, I think, with a few notable exceptions. I mean, mm-hmm. most photographers realize that they have to take a lot of bad pictures to get the one that really works. Yes, yes. So you have to go out and do it. Yeah, you have to go um, out and do it. I talked to uh, Paul Kessel in January. We featured him in our January issue, and he took several workshops from Bruce Gilden, who's famous for making people go home crying. <laughs> He's a tough, tough critic. And that uh, didn't bother Paul. And he said, you know, said Gilden's theory is you have to take lots and lots and lots of bad pictures to get any good ones. Right. It's like I mean, my tennis instructor says you have to hit a thousand bad shots before you hit one good one by which he means before you learn how to hit that one good one yeah yeah but you know i we were talking about posting on uh the street photography website it's been very useful to me uh to uh put pictures out there and see uh what the response is mm-hmm. there have been uh there it has been very instructive for me to learn what which of my pictures uh, people like and which of, of the ones that, that I like, they don't. And it sort of reordered my thinking about uh, yeah. the pictures. I, uh, you know, so, I, I, I've, I've developed this, uh, this notion of uh, likes. I don't have any followers. I'm too new to the site. But if I get an eight, likes on a photograph that's that's the beginning of good if it goes up to 12 or 15 or Hmm. i think the most i've ever had is 17 or 20 but that that forms a kind of hierarchy that may or may not be valid but it seems valid and i look at the ones that that people have responded to sort of with a new appreciation and i dismiss those that have gotten zero likes uh, as uh, as not so hot so it's helped me to reorder to reorder my legacy if if that's what I'm putting together is a legacy. Yeah, uh, I'd say don't read too much into that. Yeah, um, you may have some very good photographs that don't get a lot of likes, and you know when people view, everybody's in a hurry, and there's like thousands and thousands of people whose photographs there are to look at. And um, online, they're small. That's right. And so they're, the ones that really jump out at people, um, you know, have like strong graphical elements. Right. Um, and one which they'll be more likely to open up and look at closer. I, right. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. 
And the other ones that may have more detail, be more of a fill the frame type photograph, may not, people may not open it. As, I think as that's, I think that's an excellent point. And it's one that I, I have uh, considered and factored in to a certain extent. Um, uh, but I, I, I appreciate your having stated it so explicitly. I, I think that's very good advice. Of course, one always hopes that everybody will uh, click on them to make them bigger. Sure. But even, even, even that, sometimes they're looking at them on their phone or yes. you know, small screen or something. So I think that's a very good, uh, a very good caution. Are you on Instagram too? No. Uh, I, I don't know why, but yeah. I'm not. You, you can't do everything. Can't do. Good. I was on. I was on five hundred picks. Do you yeah. know that website? Yeah, for I was a while? on there for a while. Yeah. Uh, for a while, it it got too complicated. Not too complicated, but it got. I I I resented having to fill in all the information yeah. and all the stuff with each one. It's just easier to to post them. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and and uh, Facebook makes it easy. It does. Too easy, actually, sometimes. Yeah. I don't use Facebook until I discovered these two, uh, these two groups, yours and the, the oh. one I use just for black and white, the, the uh, uh, street photography in, inspired by Cardia Bresson. Yeah. Well, you can, you can share those black and whites on our group, too. All right. I'm I sure will. Everybody will appreciate them. I'm, I'm running out of uh, color that I consider decent enough to post. To your group, so that's that's good <laughs> advice. You, well, maybe you put, some black and whites coming your way. You you posted a lot of uh, really good photos in there. I have to say. Well, I'd I'd hate to tell you uh, how many how many it it took to get a good one. I've I've figured since I've been taking photographs for almost seventy years, um, and I've maybe taking 300 good photographs. I forget what the math is, but it's like five or six a year. <laughs> but And that's out of taking five or 6,000 a year. So I, I guess I'm working at a thousand to one ratio somewhere in there. Whatever it is, it's, it's a daunting ratio. <laughs> but that's, I, guess, I guess that's the appeal of golf, which I've never uh, played. <laughs> there, you just never quite get it right. And no, there's always yeah, no. next time, and there's always the next day when you're gonna you're gonna go around there like Tiger Woods. Well, just life, like like golf, as uh, Mark Twain said, it's a good walk spoiled. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I know I think there's a lot of analogies between golf and street photography. But don't get me started on that. My my favorite Twain quote is uh, when he's talking about the mu the music of Richard Wagner. He says it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> it, it's hard to meet. It's hard to beat old Mark Twain. Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah, he's he uh, he had some zingers. That's for he, sure. He got off some good lines. There's no question. Well, that's uh, that's great. So, um, you know, you've answered a lot of questions that I had that I didn't even need to ask because 
you told me anyway. You're easy. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> you're, that's because you're a journalist. Maybe. So what should I have asked you that I haven't? Well, I, I just, I have a cheat sheet here, and I was just looking. There's a good Ernst Haas quote that I was going to try to work in. And we had a chance because we were talking about how about point-and-shoot cameras. But Ernst Haas, who is one of my photography heroes, said, the camera doesn't make a bit of difference. All of them can record what you are seeing, but you have to see. And I think that's, I think that's true. I think it's wise. I see, I see in Key West where we have a lot of tourists. I see these, I see tourists with these huge, expensive cameras walking around with these big telephoto lenses, yeah. knowing or suspecting that their photographs are no better than mine, and uh, they have, they they think it's all in the. They don't think it's all in the camera, but they think most of it is is in the camera. And yeah. I'm sure Bob, you've been asked many times. Oh, what kind of camera are you using? Yeah. And uh, it, yes, you want to have a decent camera that has some features and stuff. But the camera is so much less important than the legs and the head and the eyes, and. Uh, so that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, oh, I know what you didn't ask me about, and uh, you may or may not uh, be interested. But you know, I, I I told you in an earlier email once that the only commercial success I've had as a photographer was when I took a billboard in Times Square that was right across from my office when I was working in magazines. I forget what magazine i was in the process of putting out of business but um it was a billboard of a calvin klein model actually he was a brazilian pole vaulter modeling some calvin klein underwear and i knew the photograph and i knew that there would come a point where the painters doing the billboard would be uh in the underwear area <laughs> and so i set up a, my camera with a tripod i almost never used a tripod yeah. it was a very overcast day so i had i was using ectochrome film because of its high asa and uh sure enough when it, when they got to the critical moment the sun came out and i took this photograph and uh, the company I was working for, CBS Magazines, was then publishing American Photographer, and they had good relations with photographers. And the fellow who had published the Richard Avedon photograph of Natasha Kinsky with the mm. boa constrictor, Natasha Kinsky with the serpent, it was called, was coming to the office, and I asked him to stop by, and I showed him this picture that I'd taken. And he said, oh, we've got to, you've got to publish that. So we published it together. And uh, he, he was in the business of marketing posters, and it started selling like crazy. Um, and for about, 
about a year, every month I would get a royalty check from this poster. Some hmm. some months it'd be four thousand, some really? months it'd be twelve thousand, some wow. months it would be three thousand, some months it would be eight thousand. You never knew, but it was like found money. Huh. Until uh, People Magazine, he managed to get People Magazine to say it was the hottest selling poster in the country. And the fellow who had taken the original photographer, Bruce Weber, uh-huh. very, very well-known advertising photographer, read, must have read People Magazine and said, that's, that's my photograph. Yeah. Even though it's got sure. two men in a painting and a billboard, it's my photograph and cease and desist. Ouch. Ouch. Well, by then, we were down to a couple of thousand a month or something. Uh, So uh, we did cease and desist, uh, even though I spoke to a copyright lawyer who said, well, you'd probably win the suit because you have elements in it Mm -hmm. that he doesn't have, and it's it's a billboard and his was not. But it'll probably cost you $25,000 or $30,000. Uh, to win the suit. So we just folded mm-hmm. our tent. About a week later, I was having lunch at uh, at uh, Joe, oh, name TK, name to come, um, Joe Allen's mm-hmm. uh, on 8th Avenue, which is sort of the theater district in yeah, Manhattan. Yeah. And Carrie Donovan was an editor at the Times where I was then working. And she was a friend of mine. And as I was going out, she was coming in. And she said, oh, Carrie, do you know Bruce Weber? <laughs> I said, no, I'm, he's suing me. <laughs> a slight exaggeration, but it yeah, made a good yeah. exit line anyway. So that was my only, uh, that was my only uh, commercial success. And it was, all a, it was all a fluke, but a wonderful uh, fluke. And every once in a while, I still still see that uh, poster, like like uh, the Saul Steinberg uh, poster that shows Manhattan huge, and then the far west and the far east. Uh, the New Yorker it ran as a New Yorker cover, and Asia is very small in the background. It's a very famous photograph. He made no money from that, or very little, because it started getting copied by everyone. Uh, and my my uh, my Bruce Weber uh, poster has been so copied that uh, I don't get I I don't get any royalties from it, and neither does Bruce Weber. But that was a that was a fun experience. I, uh, amateurs have more fun when they actually make money from their photos. Sure, you don't expect it exactly. When I started working for for Time Magazine, there were no bylines. So I used to take pictures after I interviewed somebody. And uh, very often, uh, the the magazine would run my photograph in small and in black and white, but it had a photo credit on it. (laughs) So it was like having a byline because my friends at least knew that that was a story that I would have uh, either reported or written. So that was a, a, a way around the, the byline situation. Oh, that's funny. All right. I think we've bored our, your listeners long enough. It's been great talking to you. Well, same here. But before we go, tell us where people could find your work. 
Uh, where can I find, find my work? Um, well, uh, some of my older stuff is it is at that 500px website. Okay. Um, there's a, a a couple of books that I've written are on Amazon. Uh, one is called Starts and Finishes, and the other is called <coughs> Excuse me, Hail to the Chief, which is a political thriller which I wrote with John Leslie. Um, the uh, <clears throat> two Facebook groups to which I contribute are yours, which is Street Photography Magazine. What? Street Photography Magazine group? That's a good question. All right. Well, we have to look at we'll, we'll put the link in the show notes. Okay. As good. People can click. And the it. other one is street photography inspired by Cartier Bresson. Okay. And, uh, and that's, that's, of course they're, they're on your, they're on your own Facebook feed as well. Right. Uh, they're not actually, I oh, should, okay. I should put them on, I guess. Okay. Uh, so yes, those, those are some of the places. Uh -huh. And, uh, uh, keep keep reading and buying Street Photography Magazine. Perhaps I'll turn up there one of these days under uh, uh, readers' contributions. I got one a few months ago. That was that was good. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And that's a good example of what you were talking about because I got I think one like or two likes when I posted it on. On the, on the website because it's it's so dense and yeah. uh, you have to see it big to make it, see, for it to that, work right. That's the point I was making, and a, and an ex, an excellent point it was. All right, well, Carrie, thank you very much. Well, thank you for an entertaining hour for me. I hope for um, your listeners as well. I think they will. I, I was entertained, so why Good. wouldn't they? Right, I was too. Thank you, Bob. Your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode. So please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo. And our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm -hmm.